Episode 14 of On Air with the Chair was recorded on June 8th, two days prior to the announcement at American Airlines. Therefore, this podcast does not contain any information regarding that recent announcement. We will be recording another episode on the week of June 20th to provide any relevant information and updates. Also, we are still planning on recording a podcast with CEO Jim Graham on June 27th. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of On Air with the Chair, Hot Topics and Summer Flying. I'm Captain Nicholas James, your MEC chairman, and today we're going to be talking about a host of different topics, ranging again from the summer schedules to attrition, hiring, and future MEC strategic plans. Now, we didn't receive a question for today's podcast, but please remember that if you have a question or an idea for a topic that you'd like me or the MEC to address, please email edvonair at alpa.org. That's edvonair at alpa.org. Joining me today for our Hot Topics session is our comms committee chairman, Peter Ruhlman. Peter, once again, welcome back to the show. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having me. It seems like a new home here. <laughs> yes. Well, it is a new home here. For those of you that don't know, Peter actually just moved up to Minneapolis. Uh, he lives about 10 minutes from the Alpa offices. It's wonderful. <laughs> oh, well, it's going to be wonderful for us because we're going to put you to work more. Good, good. Do it. <laughs> so you'll probably actually see more of these podcasts uh, coming down the pipeline, but uh you know, Peter, uh, why don't you just kick it off with some uh, questions that I know have been on the minds of the line pilots? Well, sure, Nick. Yeah, they, we've been getting a lot of darts, a lot of communications with our LEC representatives about just these hot topics. And we're going to cover a couple of them, like you said today. First is the operation of the airline going into the summertime here. We're about mid-June and the summer's just starting to heat up. And uh, it looks like it's going to continue to heat up. But pilots are seeing uh, increased load factors. They're seeing scheduling changes all up into the latter part of the alphabet here when looking at pairing numbers and just a tremendous amount of difficulty going into their normal operation. What does the summer look like for us this year? And are we going to be breaking uh, record temperatures? <laughs> <laughs> um, in one word, uh, challenging. And that probably doesn't really do justice to what our pilots are going to be facing over the June, July, and, and possibly August timeframes. Uh, the company has indicated to us and has indicated to the pilot group that they will be running the operation, quote unquote, hot. But I think the bigger question is why? Why are we running so hot uh, this summer? Well, mostly it has to do with the recovery from COVID. As you know, this industry on the whole received $63 billion in pilot payroll support or payroll support, I should say. It wasn't specific or unique to pilots and CARES Act funding. The idea behind that was to position our industry for a recovery. You see, we can't just flip a light switch on in the cockpit like you can with a regular worker. We obviously have to maintain qualifications and standards, and that comes down to simulator times and ground schools and making sure you have all the right components in the right places. Well, unfortunately, what a lot of managerial teams did was they took that CARES Act funding and they paired that with some voluntary, but a lot of involuntary concessions and furloughs because they wanted to save and preserve cash. Cash conservation was king during the COVID era. Well, you can conserve cash, but you're doing so at the expense of being prepared for the eventual upswing. And when the upswing hit, management teams were very, very unprepared. They looked at the COVID recovery as a multi-year, three to five-year window 
when in actuality, the consumer demand has returned far faster than what they believed or they predicted. And so therefore, they've been caught uh, out of position and they're scrambling. Every single airline is scrambling to try to make sure not only do they not give up market share, that they might be able to capture additional market share. And again, this is not unique to Endeavor, DCI, Delta. This is really an industry-wide problem for us that we're facing today. Um, so when you really look at what's going on at Delta, they are having issues staffing some of their uh, 737 and A220 fleets. And as a result of that, Endeavor has been asked to try to pick up the slack. But we are kind of in an, an unusual position where we really can't do that like we have in years past because of the staffing issues that we have at our own airline. So typically what our management team, I think, does a great job of, and I've got to give them credit, they usually take on a number of block hours that is somewhat conservative because their philosophy is we'd rather do a smaller footprint, you know, a slightly smaller footprint, but do it really well. That's been the Endeavor way than do a large footprint and do it poorly. Uh, however, because of pressures from, you know, our mainline partners and network planning at Delta, which yields a you know pretty big stick. They tried to take on more flying. And instead of bouncing between the guardrails, I think we've probably, Peter, I think we've probably broken through them. And I know that we have a large demographic of pilots from about 25 close to 65. So I'll give you two movie references for the older guys. It's going to be Thelma and Louise busting through the guardrail and flying off into the oblivion in the in the canyon. And for, you know, anyone younger, it's going to be any one of the Fast and the Furious movies with Vin Diesel and Paul Walker going off of a submarine, airplane, cliff, <laughs> whatever it's going to train, whatever it's going to be. Um, I can tell you that the executive team here at Endeavor is very, very well aware of this. In fact, right now, I know that Jim Graham has had meetings with network planning to see if we could actually reduce the size of the August footprint and the August schedule so that we can get back to more Endeavor-esque and Endeavor-like. Um, but for the time being, for June and July, it is going to remain challenging. We're already seeing crew cancellations, which is typically things that we don't ever see here at Endeavor. In fact, a couple of years ago, our tagline was, we cancel cancellations. Um, we just don't cancel for lack of crews. We set, have set so many uh, records inside the industry. So I know that this is a little bit of a different environment for a lot of pilots. We also understand the challenges that are occurring out on the line with reroutes, with BYDs, with extensions, with junior assignments. Please keep in mind that the company does have the parameters to do this inside the JCBA. But also understand that when we negotiated these provisions, we didn't look at these, these events as being modus operandi. We looked at these events as being the one-offs, the exceptions to the rule, what you need to do to recover the operation uh, for unforeseen operational challenges. We've expressed to the ME, uh, excuse me, we've expressed to the company, and the MEC has expressed to the company the hardships in using these types of rules or these types of latitudes as your MO for day-to-day -day operations. You will run it too hot. You will burn out the pilots. They will get frustrated. Um, as they get frustrated and as they get burned out, their desire to look elsewhere sooner increases, which does not help your attrition problem. This is, these are things that we are championing. You may solve a short-term problem, but create a larger long-term issue. Well, and that kind of brings up one of the Delta MEC's objectives right now, we've all seen the Delta MEC participating in these fatigue pickets. And this operational thing is affecting them the same as it's affecting us here. So as you said, you know, when your entire network seems to be under this heat and struggle, 
um, it could affect your attrition. I mean, things, you know, may not always be better on the other side. Yeah. And just for a point of clarification, it's not picketing over fatigue. They have a really good fatigue program. And we, we look to mirror that fatigue program because the fatigue program is a safety program. It really is a picketing over schedule quality, right? which right. that really is an oxymoron in today's day and age. Sure. So when our pilots are being faced with all these challenges out on the line, what is the company's plan on how to deal with these extensions, junior assignments? As, as you said, we don't want this to become the MO of how to deal with the schedule. What is the company doing? What do they plan to do? Yeah, no, great question. So we are still going to continue to tell the company, look, you have the contractual latitude to do this, but please keep in mind you're creating a bigger problem. And we're going to make sure that that message is championed at every strategic opportunity. Um, It has started to produce some results because the company has recognized the need to start providing some relief where they can. So one of the ideas that the company has had to address the, the quality of life issue, per se, Um, at least in the near term, is to offer New York City-based pilots or pilots that will be operating a New York City pairing with essentially a commuter hotel, a hotel either on the front side or the back side of their pairing. And they came to the association prior to this announcement to gauge our input and feedback on, on the issue. And, you know, our first response was, you know, we would prefer to see commuter hotels for everyone. We always, at the MEC level, we get very sensitive when we provide a benefit for one segment of the pilot group and not the other segment of the pilot group, because we're acutely aware that commuter hotels could be beneficial, not just for New York pilots, but Atlanta-based pilots, Detroit-based pilots, Cincinnati-based pilots, Minneapolis-based pilots. And so we would prefer that to be offered to all pilots, and that is what we championed. At the same time, if we stand in the way of providing commuter hotels for the New York City-based pilots, then you know we're also harming our membership in, in that regard. So we tried to kind of compromise with the company a little bit. And we said, look, your plan is to run commuter hotels through July 15th. We'll acquiesce and we'll give you the latitude to run it through the end of July, because those are the two hottest months, June and July, as you guys try to kind of fix and tweak the network for August so it's not quite as hot. Um, we'll allow you to offer those hotels for the New York City-based pilots for those couple of months. But after July 31st, if you're going to continue to feel a need to offer commuting pilots in New York this benefit, then we have to offer it to all pilots. Um, That way we give a little bit of relief for our New York City brethren, while also recognizing that that cannot go on in perpetuity because it's unfair to the rest of the pilot group. IROP hotels are still going to be available in all of the other domiciles. They do those on a one-off basis. So if there's an IROP in Atlanta, Detroit, Cincinnati, or Minneapolis, please know that if you need help commuting on the front side or back side, uh, the company will take a look at that on a one-off basis. There's not a contractual right in most cases to those hotels, but the company is trying to do uh, the best that they can where they can with those hotels. So please take advantage of that. There's also some other ideas that uh, the company hopes to implement that will provide some type of short-term quality of life relief. And I really can't go into any details on that right now, as that is going to be for the company to announce um, if they can get final approval from Delta. But they are looking at the issue and they are trying to make some type of inroads on making the summer a little bit better than what it is uh, starting out to be. Well, kind of building on what we're talking about with the hot operation this summer, we've talked in the past about um, having adequate staffing making the difference between, you know, a, a hot, a cold operation and really quality of life for pilots being really directly correlated to, you know, max number of days off, things like that. We've been having some record amount of attrition these last few months. I mean, March, we had 51 pilots leave, April 44, May 57. So we are trending around the 50 plus mark 
for the last three months alone, is this retention package working for the company? And if not, what's, what's the next step? You know, it's funny. I've had uh, several pilots call me personally and ask that very same question. Is the retention package working or is our continued attrition being about what it was prior to the retention package? Is that indicative that it is not going, is not effective at this point in time? And I think the answer, Peter, is it's, it's too early to tell. Honestly, we had what, 82, was it 82% of the captains that opted in? I believe that's correct. Yeah. And I think 23% of the first officers. So right off the bat, you have 18% of the captains that didn't opt in. And that 18% isn't all going to have left in this short amount of time. So you're still going to have 18% that you know and you plan on not being there in the future. Um, ironically enough, actually, just on a side note, after talking with uh, the company, they called every single captain that didn't opt in and asked them why. And there were six pilots out there that said, what do you mean there's a retention plan? <laughs> <laughs> it's so kind of mind boggling, but apparently there were six pilots that even missed the fact that there were retention. So they're looking at those attrition numbers and they're already planning for that. The other aspect of it is, is they got 23% of the first officers to opt in. They knew it wasn't going to be a high number. Um, they figured we would just target the ones that were closest to upgrade. I think the metric that is going to be most interesting to both parties is how many first officers are going to stay at Endeavor, gain their thousand hours SIC and upgrade at Endeavor and opt into the retention program. That is really going to give us a true metric on how effective the retention program is, is working. And we're not going to know that for several months. Also keep in mind, and you know, this really isn't a, you know, a knock on Delta. It is really just kind of how they conduct their business. Although I think from our perspective, we wish they would you know, move a little faster. Delta tends to be uh, reactionary. They don't necessarily tend to get out ahead of problems like this in, in a proactive fashion. So when you think about our flow agreement, LOA 125, to, you know, shortly after that was um, bargained for and negotiated for and upheld in an arbitration, two days later, American Airlines comes in with their $150,000 retention program. That was August of, of 21. We didn't get to our retention program to answer that until March of 22. So from August of 21 to March of 22. I think that probably gives you some type of gauge as to how long the company is going to want to wait before they're going to take what is the next evolution or next step. Um, I think you also have to understand that the summer of 22 is, is baked in. You know, even if we made a change right now, 22 is 22. I think the impetus behind making any future improvements is going to be what are the plans for 23, especially the summertime flying? What is international business uh, demand looking like? Uh, what is domestic business demand looking like? Do we need to increase the frequency on the hub and spoke model? And if we do, then we've got to be prepared for 23. And if it's not 23, is it 24? All of those things are going to be questions that are going to go into the minds of the Endeavor and Delta leaderships to ascertain whether or not or when they want to take this, this next step. I think also if you're an Endeavor executive, you know, we just put $250 million into the contract. It would, would be a difficult task to go back down to Delta two months later and say, oh, by the way, it's not working. And I don't really put that in the, in the feet of the Endeavor executives. They, they bought in and they believe that the right solution is an advanced seniority and longevity accrual system. It was Delta that said, we're not willing to go down that pathway. So I think that our executives, you know, for lack of better terminology, do have some level of cover with Delta because they could say, hey, we told you what we thought would be the best solution. 
you guys decided to go with the, the monetary route. It, it hasn't produced the results that I think we think the network needs or Endeavor needs. And so that really isn't on us, right? And so let's just, let's figure out what the right solution is going to be. But right now, attrition is, you, you listed off the numbers, it is barely keeping up with our hiring. Um, however, it is keeping up with our hiring because if we take a look at the ISL of 2201 at the beginning of this year, we had 1,996 pilots. On 2203, we have 2,013 pilots. So there's a small amount of growth, but that growth really is only going to be around stabilization. It is not going to be around any true growth. So we've stabilized for now, but our ability to grow is still extremely limited based upon those numbers. So Nick, as uh, pilots are kind of planning their next step in their career here at Endeavor or wherever it may take them, a lot of them are looking at the uh, flow calculator that the company put out on the website, and uh, which is getting updated, uh, what is it, every couple months or so? Yeah, I think it actually gets updated every month. Every month. Uh, they're, they're looking at that and the dates are changing. A lot of people are seeing their flow dates being pushed further back. Uh, do we have any information on why that's happening? Uh, no, because the flow calculator is not something that the association is in any control of. Um, this is a company tool, and it's really a guidance tool only. So if you have any questions on the flow calculator, the accuracy, the legitimacy, you really need to reach out to your local base management. But I have fielded a few questions personally, Peter, from pilots that have said, this doesn't really make any sense. The attrition numbers still seem to be as high as they were prior to retention, but somehow I'm getting pushed back and, and I don't understand why I, that doesn't seem to coincide with equal numbers of attrition. Well, you have to remember, it's not necessarily the total number. It's where those numbers are coming from. And you did a very good job of explaining where total numbers of attrition are for the last several months. But let me take a stab at showing the pilots where the FO attrition has been. You know, in February, we lost 11. March, we lost 12. April, we lost 15. So it's trending higher. May, we lost 25. And so I think what you're seeing is you're seeing 82% of those pilots on the captain side opt into retention. And I think that that had an impact on the flow calculator. But you're also now seeing larger increases in FO attrition. So people attrition behind you. This is why you seem to think that the overall attrition numbers are staying the same, but you're falling backwards. That actually makes sense. Because you have the pilots that are in front of you are going to be staying here and they've committed to staying here, but the overall attrition is still the same, but it's being driven by people behind you. Well, that makes complete sense. I mean, if we look at the numbers for May with a total of 53 resignations, 33 of those were captains and 20 were first officers. So, I mean, we're seeing consistently a third of our resignations be first officers, if not a little bit more each month. So that 53 number, you see, well, those 20 FOs are actually coming from behind you, which doesn't help your flow date at all. Uh, it just keeps it the same. doesn't help it. doesn't hurt it. You got to look at the captains and where they are going from your position. Are these captains going to a low-cost carrier like Spirit or Frontier from behind your seniority number? Or are they going from, uh, you know, to FedEx or Delta or United ahead of you in the seniority list? And those are the ones that are going to impact your flow calculator. Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, here's what the FO attrition, here's how that is going to hurt the company. Every time an FO leaves that has not upgraded here at Endeavor, that's hours lost towards your 1000 SIC upgrade time. So if Endeavor invests, it doesn't matter whether they invest 50 hours or 950 hours. 
that's time that they can't get back. So if an FO leaves at 200, 300, 800 hours, that is yet another FO that they are going to have to replace with that amount of time to get them into position in order to upgrade. So that's where I think when you think strategically, long-term, what's the next step? What can the MEC accomplish? Is retention working? I think that's where really the answer lies. And again, we're just going to probably need a few more months of data points to understand that. So Nick, we've talked a little bit about keeping pilots here with retention. We've talked about our attrition a good bit, uh, and we've touched on just slightly uh, getting new pilots here. I want to talk now about our hiring. Uh, We've heard a little bit out of the MEC meeting a few weeks ago, a couple updates about the Phoenix Center. Could you tell us a little bit about our SIM situation and how we are able to get these pilots through training? Sure. So the pilot group is well aware that we have essentially two SIM centers. We have one here in Minneapolis and we have a, a more remote SIM center in Phoenix. The company a few weeks ago advised the association that towards the end of the year, they're going to be looking at selling the SIM time in Phoenix. And by the end of the year, they're going to look to be exiting the Phoenix market entirely. Now, some pilots have translated that into, um, you know, the sky is falling and I, it's understandable. It really is. Um, but all of a sudden we're going to be a shrinking airline and, you know, we're not going to be the preferred partner of, of Delta and what is the long-term plan and stability, so on and so forth. So let me kind of put the pilot group's minds at ease a little bit. Yes, we are exiting Phoenix, but that's because we are growing the Minneapolis Sim Center. By November, they expect one of those Sims to be online, and by December, they expect the second Sim to be online. And so we're going to replace the Sims that we were utilizing in Phoenix with two here in Minneapolis. That will also give us three convertible Sims right here in Minneapolis that can be swapped from the 200 configuration or the 7.9 configuration. By having our sims here in Minneapolis versus training for both instructors and students out in Phoenix, for that sim capacity that we're moving over here, you're going to see a 40% increase in in efficiency. So what that means is we are going to be able to, or I should say the company is going to be able to do up to 80 new hires per month in in this configuration. Um, That would include 20 upgrades, or they can do 70 new hires per month with 40 upgrades. And the reason that they can double the upgrades just on a reduction of, of 10 new hires per month is because the upgrade footprint is a lot shorter. So they didn't really tell us exactly what their hiring goals were. I'm sure their hiring goals are going to continue to be, let's try to pull in the maximum amount, but they do have to weigh that against how many captains that we have because balance of staffing is extremely important. Some other things to think about too, Peter, is, you know, where are we sitting in terms of the FTI and LCP ranks? Because, you know, new hire components, new hires are one component of that. But what about instructors? Well, right now, FTIs have very stable numbers. In fact, they they asked for volunteers uh, this month for some FTIs to go out and fly, which, you know, we were completely fine with. It was a voluntary program um, because they are just a slightly overstaffed to what they need for July and they could see some they needed some relief on the line for that July bid period. So we do have stable numbers on the FTI side, but you will see advertisements to bring people into the FTI ranks to deal with just organic attrition. On the LCP side, the 200 seems to be well-staffed as the OE wait time is, is negligible. The 900, however, they are still looking to hire more LCPs. Right now, the the backlog is, as you guys know, probably close to six to eight weeks. That's what I've been hearing too, yeah. Yeah, six to eight weeks. 
However, they do think that by the end of the year, they're going to have that backlog cleared out and the wait time will be negligible. In an ideal situation, they would like to see LCPs fly about 60% of their monthly schedule with a student. They know that if they have to fly every single trip with a student, it gets tiring and it gets fatiguing. And so they are looking to get some relief in the, the 900 LCP ranks, but that probably won't rectify itself until the end of the year. Well, like you said, Nick, yeah, the LCPs are, you know, definitely looking for more people to go and do that job. Uh, with When it comes to the FTIs, uh, it, they actually offered uh, the line flying for July uh, for next month. And I think it was eight volunteers or so uh, that they were looking for. So, uh, you know, right now, I, I would agree the numbers are, are looking good. Um, however, we have to remember that a lot of these uh, FTIs uh, hold more senior positions and flow dates are coming up. So mm -hmm. as those people flow, um, there will be opportunities for people to join the uh, training department, both as an FTI and an LCP. Um, so keep an eye out for those. So the pilot group's aware that we just had a May MEC meeting a couple uh, weeks ago, which I was honored enough to attend. We talked about a lot during that meeting, including a negotiating committee survey, a SWOT analysis that may be a new acronym for some, and objectives during the board of directors meeting coming up in October. Uh, what can you tell us about the plans for a negotiating committee survey? Sure. So our last NC survey was conducted in December of 2020. At that point in time, we were still in the throes of COVID. So we were more focused on conservation of benefits than we were trying to capture new benefits. But again, you've got to look forward always. And we knew that we would get into a recovery phase at some point in the future, and we needed to be poised to be able to capture uh, the benefits that were most important to you during that recovery phase. There was also kind of a prevailing sentiment that, you know, we still had the progression for all campaign going on. And however, was this new demographic of pilots, because we had a lot of new pilots here that weren't here for the start of the PFA campaign, was career progression still the number one priority? And so we thought it was important to put that survey out and 85% of the pilots responded that guaranteed and contractual career progression was their number one priority. So, you know, the PFA campaign remained, you know, and the rest is history. As they say, we know that we captured um, the flow in LOA 125, which was in May of 21. So it was quite fortuitous that we were able to do that uh, survey about six months prior to that. And then again, as we said earlier in the podcast, shortly after that, American Airlines announced a retention program. And so now we're in kind of the August of 21 timeframe. And we started thinking, do we start putting a survey together for the end of this year? Or does it make more sense to wait until we get career progression for the pilots that we didn't cover under the flow? And let's see where this retention agreement was going to go, because we knew that we wanted to pair the temporary retention program with permanent contractual enhancements. And it really didn't make sense to launch a survey to ascertain what your number one priorities were, because we already had that data from the year prior. Let's see what we can get through the retention discussions, and then let's talk about an, uh, the next survey. During that time, we also needed to conduct two other surveys, a scheduling committee survey, because we hadn't done one of those in, in quite some time, and a hotel committee survey. Um, so this is actually going to be the third survey of this year. But, you know, the negotiating committee survey is always the one that uh, the pilots are the most interested in. Um, I think that was most evident in a recent Facebook post, um, not on the official Facebook group uh, that is run by the association, but the one that is run by the pilots, which we love. I mean, there's a lot of really great information out there. 
and it, it creates a lot of really good dialogue, but we also have to be very measured and careful how we use that. And I think there was a, a survey that was about to be put out to the pilots uh, somewhat anonymously, which could also be a little, little dangerous. Um, very, very well-intentioned, um, certainly. But, you know, we need to be careful about what we are showing management our priorities are going to be. One of the questions on that survey was, you know, would you accept a one to two or one to three, you know, seniority and longevity match to Delta? In other words, you work three years here for one year at, at Delta. Well, if the numbers come back that 80% of you says, yeah, we'd, we'd accept a one for three, then you really can't expect to do any better in negotiations than that. Um, and so you, you really got to think strategically about, is this the right thing to do? Um, and that's kind of the, you know, Peter, the overall problem with social media too. Everybody wants to be first rather than be accurate and be thoughtful, you know, and make sure that this is, you know, the pathway that we want to go down. Well, and you made a good point there. I mean, the survey was very well intentioned and a lot of people had good comments and ideas about why they wanted to see the results. A lot of curiosity, a lot of, you know, people just wanting to be informed. Mm -hmm. And I can definitely respect that. I mean, that's my entire job as the chairman of communications for the association here is to inform people. So, you know, it's very well intentioned there. And we intend to continue to communicate this information to you as we can without jeopardizing our strategic position. And I hope that the pilot group can respect that. And if you have any questions about the situation of our communications, you are always free to reach out to me and I will uh, try to explain that to you as best as possible. I'm not very good at words, but here we are <laughs> on a <laughs> podcast, right? Um, well, wonderful. So we talked about the survey. We're expecting one of those to come up soon, you said, correct? Yeah, you know, the, the NC is putting it together right now, but we do have to pair that work with Alpa National because they are the ones that actually have to launch it. So our goal would be to get it out by the end of this month, no later than the first week of July. We would probably leave it open for about three or four weeks. Um, that's typically the time frame that we, we leave surveys open. Please keep in mind that in general, even though there seems to be a strong desire amongst the pilot group for surveys, participation rates still haven't been that great. If we hit 50%, that's a huge win. Um, that's a huge win. And, and sometimes we struggle just to even get half of the pilot group to respond. So, you know... Fortunately, there seemed to be a lot of interest on Facebook, um, but Facebook is only one demographic of our pilots. Uh, hopefully, if we get that survey out there, I'd love to see, you know, 70, 80 percent participation. Well, I'd love to see 100, but, you know, we got to be realistic. If, <laughs> yeah. if six pilots didn't even know there was a retention available, we're not going to get 100 percent in the NC survey. No, and Nick, the more participation we have in these surveys, the better. And it's, you know, apart from talking to your LEC reps, these negotiating committee surveys are going to be the best way to have your voice heard about what you want the MEC to be focused on because, you know, at the end of the day, the MEC works for the pilot group, period. So fulfilling these surveys is your way of giving us direction. So once we collect the information from surveys like this or the LEC representatives uh, communicate what their pilot groups have been telling them to the rest of the MEC, uh, we can then consider these objectives in our strategic objective planning. And part of that is a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T. Nick, uh, this was a new acronym for me <laughs> this month, uh, and so I guarantee that there are some people who have no idea what this is. What is a SWOT analysis? Are we expecting you know the SWAT team to bust through the door at any moment, or what? <laughs> well, that's the that's what I thought the first time that I heard this. I was like, oh, this this might actually be interesting training. I don't know. Um, SWOT is a strength, weakness, opportunity, and threat analysis that is championed by Alpa National and and really by a lot of organizations and businesses. So what we did 
Uh, I thought it was going to be very important given how many new reps that we have, how much turnover that we have, that we get some basics as far as strategic planning is concerned from Alpa National. So we had some representatives from Alpa National, including Anna Lubovitch. Uh, we also had our Comspec, uh, Courtney Garmhouse, and then we had our executive vice president for our B Group carrier, um, Sean Creed, who's a Spirit pilot. Sean's a great guy. He actually was a former MEC chairman at Spirit, and he saw them through the strike. That is absolutely no easy task to do. Hardworking, uh, very smart, very well-respected individual. They joined us to go through just kind of the basics of SWAT planning. Um, you know, you identify what areas of strength that you have inside the MEC currently um, or inside your pilot group. And then you also identify threats. Uh, those threats could be things that you can control, things you may not be able to control. They can be micro, they can be macro. And then you take a look at, you know, weaknesses, but weaknesses oftentimes, especially for optimistic people like ourselves, Peter, we also view those as opportunity, sure. right? So your weaknesses can turn into opportunities. And then from that SWOT analysis, you create goals. Well, one of the things that I you know, said to Alpa National right from the start is I, I don't really want the SWOT analysis to be focused on how do we get our strategic objectives at the bargaining table here at Endeavor. We already know how to do that. In fact, we do that more frequently and better than anyone else. 131 LOAs speaks for itself. And in fact, Alpa National had some very nice things to say to our group um, and to our MEC. They said, you know, you're right. You guys don't need to know how to get those objectives. You've formulated the relationships. You have good bargaining. As Jane Traff liked to say all the time, good bargaining begets more good bargaining. You guys know how to accomplish the strategic objectives that are within your control. I said the, the ones that we need to focus on are the strategic objectives that are not necessarily fully in our control, the ones that would require concurrence with the Delta MEC, ones that would require us to get more face-to-face -face time with Delta management. Ones that may even require the fee for departure network and Alpa National to take certain directions. And so I can't really go into a, too many details of the, um, well, the details that were discussed because it was discussed in closed session. And part of, the part of the effectiveness of strategic planning is keeping it confidential. But, you know, I think uh, as we talk about what our BOD objectives are going to be, which is the board of directors meeting coming up in October you'll probably get some level of insight as to what we were discussing and what we're planning at the Endeavor MEC level. So Nick, what are those BOD objectives? No, perfect. So first, just so the pilots are aware, the board of directors meeting happens once every two years. And once every four years, we have an election board of directors meeting where we elect all the national officers. And this happens to be one of those election meetings. And so this presents a really, really good opportunity for Endeavor, but most importantly, I think an opportunity for the fee for departures to be able to guide and steer some of their strategic objectives. You know, most of the time, the candidates for president, first vice president, secretary, treasurer, all the national officer positions typically are filled from the mainline ranks. You know, you're talking about the bigger carriers, United, Delta, you know, President DePete is a FedEx pilot. Um, Bill Kuwait has kind of been the exception to the rule. The, I always like to call him the institution that is Bill Kuwait because he's been there for 16 years and he's an envoy pilot. Wonderful, wonderful gentleman. Uh, very much enjoyed working with Bill Kuwait. But most of the time they are filled from kind of the national ranks. Um, the thing is, as a voting block, the fee for departure carriers, uh, we carry about 12,500 votes. So we carry darn near a voting block that is very similar to that of a United or a Delta. So if we band together in our strategic objectives and candidates want to earn our support, 
um, they have to earn our support by supporting the things that are important to us. You know, not just talking about, you know, making promises, but actually supporting what, what is important to us. And for our board of directors objectives, and again, I can't go into too many details at this point, but we're going to be focused on three different things, career advancement, career benefits, and career security. And inside those three things, actually, I shouldn't even say inside, encompassing all of those things, what we're really trying to do is create a proposition value for holding an Alpha seniority number that doesn't exist today. Right now, there are some benefits in holding an Alpha seniority number versus, let's say, a Teamsters or uh, is it fair to say a student council Sky West seniority number? <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> okay. Um, there are some advantages because there are resources at the Alpha national level that are available to pilots that hold an Alpha seniority number that are not available to other uh, pilots at other carriers. But from a day-to-day -day standpoint, let's be fair, an Alpha seniority number to you, the regular line pilot, doesn't really mean anything different than a Teamsters seniority number would or the, the student council seniority number would. So what we need to do is we need to find a way to create that value proposition in holding that Alpha seniority number that allows you to advance and protect your career and give you benefits within the Alpha ecosystem, first and foremost. When pilots make a decision on their carrier, they make it based upon, you know, upgrade times, domicile structures, pay. We need ALPA to be part of that equation. And if we can do things like an advanced seniority and longevity system, accrual system, um, that is unique and only given to ALPA properties, that is how you start breaking those doors down. And so one of the things that we're going to be trying to do is put forward some resolutions that would make this part of the national strategic objectives and national strategic plan at the board of directors meeting. And I would hope to see support across the board of the fee for departure network for things like our career progression benefits, security propositions, because I mean, those are things that we can all benefit from in the fee for departure network here. And if we can all get on board, then like you said, we carry a very large voting block there. We can actually get the spotlight shine on our objectives here. And I really do hope that these objectives can be adopted by our fee-for-departure brothers and sisters. Uh, so we do have the BOD coming up. We also have some events that are coming up for our pilots. Well, actually, before we get into the events, Peter, let me make one more point that I'd like to make as part of this Board of Director objectives. This has always been part of the Progression for All campaign. I know that for the line pilot here at Endeavor, they believe that the Progression for All campaign was just about getting an Endeavor pilot to Delta. But that was never just what it was about. Now, that was going to be one of the first benefits that we were able to capture. But there was a much larger, much more global strategic plan as far as progression for all. And just think about those words, progression for all. This isn't a problem, and I've said this many times, that is unique to the Delta Endeavor relationship. This is a, a problem that is faced by the Alpa properties on the United side that don't have a flow to their mainline carriers. This is a, a problem that is faced as far as a unity aspect is concerned at Alpa National. Alpa always talks about how there's only one Alpa pilot. We're not regional, mainline, fractional, cargo. We're just one Alpa pilot. But then we're sent back to our own individual MECs to do what is best for our own individual pilot groups, which may not necessarily be in the best interest of another pilot group or the association as a whole. And so I think we need to be working our way towards a better system. And part of that is progression for all. So thanks, Peter, for letting me um, interject that. And let's move on to some upcoming events. Yeah, Nick, no problem. So what I was going to talk about was the uh, upcoming MEC participation at Oshkosh this year. 
Um, and I heard a little bit of a rumor about maybe some upcoming pub events. You want to expand on those? Sure. So last year, we did not actually have a presence, meaning the MEC have a presence at Oshkosh, because we did three different pub events. We did Atlanta, Detroit, and Minneapolis. And that was one of our ways to return dues dollars to you. And it was uh, very, very well received, and we really enjoyed it. But we really couldn't uh, fit in nor justify a further expenditure of Oshkosh. This year, we are going to be, as an MEC, attending Oshkosh. We aren't hosting any formal events, but we will be looking to collaborate with what the Delta MEC is going to put forward. And there's also going to be a lot of um, national presence uh, at Oshkosh, and I think there are events that they are going to plan um, at the Alpha National level. So if you are going to be in attendance and you are an Endeavor pilot, please reach out to uh, one of the officers, and if you'd like to get together that evening, we'd be more than happy to uh, sit down and enjoy each other's company. Uh, as far as a pub event is concerned, and you know, we're, we still haven't finalized the details, so I, I might be a little early on this and Jade's probably going to kill me, but <laughs> we are trying to put together a New York City pub event because that was one of the domiciles that we missed last time. It is also the one that has the most focus, most growth, most resurgence, and some very, very junior and new pilots within our ranks. We're trying to uh, reserve a New York Mets game at City Field. That will probably happen towards the latter half of September. It'll be under the same kind of MO that we did the Detroit, Minneapolis, and Atlanta games. We'll have a, a private area. Food and drinks will be included. Tickets will be included. The only responsibility for the pilot will be able to get themselves to and from the game. And if you need lodging, you know, the hotel will be on you, but everything else will be on the MEC. That's wonderful. I, I know that I personally attended both the uh, pub events in Atlanta and in Minneapolis, and it was really nice to see the turnout of uh, people, a good, a good time to fellowship and uh, not only get to know each other, but to, you know, talk about what's uh, concerning us, uh, you know, here and now, and just enjoy some time together. You know, I see you're wearing a uh, Detroit uh, Tigers baseball shirt right now. <laughs> Go Twins. But uh <laughs> Yeah, I guess the Mets will have to do. Well, uh, Dave Driscoll, the company attorney, said, uh, I'm glad you're supporting a minor league team. Yeah. And he saw that, and I was like, well. And um, just to let everyone know, I'm, I'm wearing the shirt tonight, or this shirt today, because uh, I was invited to the pub event for the Delta MEC up here in Minneapolis this evening. They're hosting a pub event at a minor league baseball team up here in uh, St. Paul. So looking forward to continuing our strong relationships with the Delta MEC at that event. Well, wonderful, Nick. I do hope that you uh, have a good time uh, rooting for the losing team tonight. Uh, <laughs> one other uh, little point of news that came out of the MEC meeting last week, or two weeks ago, sorry, was the creation of a new executive administrator position within the MEC. Uh, there was a lot of good discussion about this, and the MEC ended up passing the resolution to create this position unanimously. Uh, what can you tell us about this position? Yeah, so EAs have become very commonplace inside the ALPA or MEC hierarchy or ecosystems. Um, this was something that several years ago, the MEC contemplated and explored. In fact, uh, they talked about, you know, do we want to do an EA or do we want to possibly separate or bifurcate the secretary and treasurer positions? Um, by and large, our MEC has been more inclined to go down the EA route simply because the EA is appointed by the chairman and confirmed by the MEC, but that position can go dormant at any point in time. So if there's not a need for it, it doesn't have to be filled. Whereas if you separate the secretary-treasurer positions, those are now elected positions, so that brings in a political uh, component to it, and those positions have to be filled. Okay, So 
if there's not necessarily a need to have them separated, your, your policy manual has already separated them and it's not as easy to make it go dormant in that fashion. So I approached the MEC a few months ago about the idea of instituting an EA here. Now, the EA really isn't, at least at the Endeavor level, it isn't really about workload. We're, we're able to manage the workload just fine. But what it really is about is creating a new entry point into the senior leadership of the MEC. And this is going to be important for continuity purposes as we continue to lose talent uh, to other airlines. When we think about the individuals that have made a large impact, um, the the large impact is made because they've been able to be here for several years, spool up, gain knowledge, and then be able to translate that back into the value for the pilot group. We've seen a lot of major players come and go over the years, and I'm only going to name a few of them, but I think of you know former MEC chairman like Jonathan Allen, uh, Rob Plunkett, Jane Schraff. The, when we lose those individuals, we lose a big portion of our rudder, but here's the advantage. If you have a lot of stability within your leadership ranks, you get a lot of time to build those missing pieces back. But what happens when you have a lot of turnover is you start losing pieces of the rudder and you don't necessarily have a lot of opportunity and time to build them back before you're losing the next piece. So I thought it was important to create an EA position because that EA is going to be exposed to grievance, negotiations, communications. They're going to be exposed to representative work, possibly get trained in Section 19s. And as they get that experience, they will hopefully then be able to translate that into a different position within the MEC, and they will already be spooled up and be able to provide you, the line pilots, the value that you become accustomed to receiving from the Endeavor MEC. So that really is kind of the impetus behind it. And so there's going to be, or there probably by the time you're listening to this, there will be a chairman's update that will talk about the EA position, the reasons for it, and to send your resumes to edvofficers at alpha.org if you're interested in this position. We're targeting candidates that either are going to sunset their careers here at Endeavor, you know, so I, we would be more than happy to take somebody that is, you know, five, six years away from, from retirement, but, you know, wants to continue uh, down the Endeavor pathway, or a very junior pilot that, you know, maybe has only been here for six months, but they really feel like Endeavor's the place for them, Delta's the place for them, and they're really looking to stay here. Not to say that you can't change your mind, but they're really looking to stay here, because if we're going to make that investment into you, we would like to see a return over, you know, a couple of year time frame. So um, if you're interested in the position, edvofficers at alpha.org. Well, that's great, Nick. I think I'm going to uh, steal the spotlight from you here for just a moment. I'd like to also mention something coming up to the pilot group. We are, as you're listening to this podcast, we've gotten a great number of compliments, uh, critiques, and uh, a lot of support for what we're doing here with Honor with the Chair. And I want to thank you all for being so vocal about it, letting me know how you like it, what you don't like about it, and what we can change. And what we want to do coming up soon is create a shorter episode format of this podcast, keeping On Air with the Chair, as our longer length episodes, just ideal for you know commuting, driving into work or whatnot. Then we're going to be creating what we are tentatively calling the quick turn. Uh, these are short 10 to 15 minute episodes, just uh, kind of highlighting hot topics of the week, hot topics of the contract, things that uh, we're seeing come up in dart trends. Um, and hopefully these will be a nice source of uh, just a, a, a quick turn listen, if you would. 
So 10 to 15 minutes means that either I'm not participating in them or you can only ask me one question. That's that's very true. Uh, you, you'll actually be able to get to hear from some people that we don't get to hear from very often on this podcast. We're going to be uh, bringing in some of our contract experts, some of our negotiators, some people who are considered uh, subject matter experts in different fields uh, that we want to be talking to. So keep an eye out for the quick turn episodes coming up. Those will be running... Uh, side by side with the full length episodes here. And as always, if you have any critiques, questions, comments, or a question you want us to address on the show, please send that to edv on air at alpa.org or throw us a dart to communications. We're more than happy to hear from you. It just makes everything that we do even better. Yeah. And one thing that I'd like to add to in there, Peter, something that our comspec from Alpa National brought up to us, and I think it's probably something that you and I should look at, is something called office hours. Um, and it is kind of a shorter version of, let's say, On Air with a Chair Live. I and mean, we're talking about sure. a shorter version of podcast. This could be a shorter version of that. But it really is kind of a replacement to that previous recurrent ground school where we could come in and have some FaceTime with the pilots and there could be direct interaction and there could be questions that were asked. And um, the idea behind office hours is, you know, we launch a Microsoft Teams or a WebEx or something along those lines. And from, you know, 9 to 1030 or 10 to 12 or whatever we want those office hours to be, you know, whether it's me or another officer or the subject matter expert that is going to be in play that day, um, you can just sit there and ask any questions that you want. Sure. Um, and it's just, a, like I said, a little faster format um, than, you know, the, the big production that is the On Air with the Chair Live, which is great, by the way. And <laughs> Alpa National always says that you guys are the only ones that are doing this and you do it extremely well. So outside of their own studio, I may add. Well, yeah, but they, <laughs> they have some resources that we don't. Yes. So ours still look a lot better. But yeah, I would absolutely agree with yeah. that. So just as a final reminder, before we wrap it up today, um, if you have a question, please send it to EDV on air at alpa.org. And it can be a question or a topic for a future episode. Want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, it was great um, doing the podcast with you once again, Peter. It's the pleasure is mine always. And I look forward to doing more of them now that you have moved to the black hole that is Minneapolis. I'm 10 minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, have a great summer. Fly safe and be safe out there, and we'll see you out on the line. Take care. Send everything to 531, runway 28, quit the land.